0: Hello and welcome to another long final edition of Squawk 7000. I'm Michael Cummin. On this episode, we're delighted to present you with another of the contributors to a recent Gaskey Safety Evening, Chairman of Gaskey, Jerry Humphreys. The General Aviation Safety Council of Ireland is a volunteer body composed of representatives from General Aviation in Ireland set up in 2012. They meet regularly, aiming to promote General Aviation Safety in Ireland. In this episode, Jerry talks us through some of the considerations of winter ops or flying in winter. Okay I'm going to talk for a little while now on something that's coming up for us all and it's about winter operations. Okay so the first thing we think about when we talk about winter operations of course is ice snow you know all that sort of stuff but there's and and, and that's obvious you know that, that, that there's lots of stuff to be thought about from that point of view operating from an alpine airport or whatever but I'd like us I'd like to try and think about stuff that actually Is relevant to us flying GA in Ireland. So, you know, this sort of scene might be fine for those who are flying um, in and out of ski resorts. um, And that is very demanding stuff. Samadan or some of these places, Courcheval, where you need special training to get into the airfield. But let's talk about, uh, you know, from day to day, what we do. So I thought I'd just explain some of the things that we have on our aircraft in AFTA. I thought I'd, I'd look at some of the the devices that we have on aircraft to counter ice in in flight. And ice in flight is the thing that comes up to to mind straight away. So you know, on on some of our aircraft, we have these inflatable boots. It's sort of like a bicycle tube that's stuck onto the front part of the wing, and it's able to be inflated from the output of the vacuum pump. So there's vacuum pulling out through the instruments and the output of that squirted into that bicycle tube, which expands. And you can see this tube has obviously had the odd puncture and there's an patch applied to it. And so the the thing about these leading edges as in the tail and also on the fin is that you wait for a bit of ice to build up and then you you punch the, the, the button and it breaks the ice off, you hope. Of course, you, you're in trouble if you have you know, a really nasty uh, rain ice that's flowing back over the wing. Then you need to get out of that situation. Okay, so the propellers are another area we'd be interested in making sure then get deiced there. You know, rotating wings, of course, and we have heated pads there which stop that ice. And often, if a if an aircraft's been working a lot in icy conditions, you'll often see dents on the fuselage in this area here where the ice has come off and thwacked into the side of the fuselage. So. Older twins that have had a hard life in icing conditions, you'd often see either repairs or just impact, dense impacts in that area there. More modern aircraft, the Diamonds, the Twin Stars that we have, have this very interesting stuff, which is actually designed in the Second World War for American bombers. But uh, it's it's still used in almost exactly the same um, form today. Uh, It's called a TKS system. It's sort of like your skin. Um, So it's a porous membrane on the front of the wing, where we inject a fluid which secretes through tiny, tiny holes and then flows back along the wing. And and we've got that on the the wing surface and also on the empennage back there. The subtle difference between this system and the other system, of course, is this is an anti-ice system and you need to turn this on before you get into the ice. If you got ice and you switch this on, it ain't going to work because all the little holes will be blocked by the ice, and then your you know the system doesn't work again. The props on these airplanes, I don't know if you can see it, but there's a tiny little tube there, and these black rubber bits have got channels in them, and that they're just there to to channel that fluid out along the prop as it goes. So it's it's purely a fluid de icing system. It's called TKS. It's horribly expensive, but it's very very effective. And I thought I'd have a little look at what icing looks like on a on a diamond there and you can see it's just starting to, 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 to build up there on the leading edge of the engine intake and i think it's quite useful to to get to, to get to know if you are flying an aircraft that is cleared into known icing where the first signs of ice come and and that's certainly on this airplane it's that leading edge airplanes that are not cleared into known icing like for example my rv but you know, or a Cessna 172, sometimes it's inevitable. You get a bit of ice and you've got to try and get away or get down or you're, you're flying in clear air, but you're getting rain from above and you're below zero and suddenly you get ice. It's good to know where the first area is so you get a heads up. And certainly in a 172, the leading edge of the strut, in my experience, is where you see the ice first. And in the RV, just the very bottom of the canopy, you see a little bit of frost building up there. You know, you know it's time to do something about it. Doing something about it, of course, in, in the air means getting into warm air. Normally, that means descending. And that's probably one of those situations where, again, even if you have an instrument rating and you're cleared into icing or into known conditions and all that stuff, I don't think light airplanes have any business going flying in on days where the freezing level is below your safety altitude there's no future in that so you know unless you can guarantee a path for example we often fly over and back to the uk and we take a shortcut across the the welsh mountains but there are several days where the freezing level might be two and a half three thousand feet and safety altitude over those hills is way above that so you know those are days where we have to plan to go bristol channel left up by gloucester and up to wherever we're going and even on those days you know, you'd always be careful that you had a, a way out. Okay, so that's in-flight icing, enough about that, really. But I think for most GA pilots, most gasky, if you like, people, will be flying light aeroplanes, even out of grass strips or whatever. So I just thought I'd just stick a few headings up and talk about them. The, the first thing I think is really important from a winter ops point of view, we often forget, is personal safety. Um, you know, so you know, if it is going to be icy, it's ever so easy to slip fall on the way out to the airplane especially if you're operating from a tarmac surface so think carefully about what your shoes you wear try to wear shoes that have got a good grip survival but the four the four priorities in survival are protection location water and food and in that order and very much protection is the single biggest one and from a protection point of view something we often don't pay enough attention to is what are you wearing if you did have a forced landing in the middle of nowhere or in a bog or somewhere remote, It'd be an awful shame having done a beautiful forced landing to suddenly have an issue with hypothermia. We lose temperature. We, we lose heat very, very quickly indeed, especially if the weather's poor or if our clothing is wet and, and there's a bit of wind chill factor involved. And, and believe it or not, you lose an extraordinarily high amount of heat through your head. So having a woolly hat can actually save an awful lot of heat loss. Protection... Is, is one of those things that, you know, it's it's, it's your a personal a personal choice. If I'm going on a longish trip or if I'm going over a rough area, I have a fisherman's jacket that I wear. People sort of laugh at me and think, oh, I used to be in the Boy Scouts. But it is quite nice to have one of these things. And, you know, I have a little personal survival pack. I have a box of, you know, things to start fire. I have, um, uh, uh, I, I actually carry bin bags with me. So large Coarse bin bags, two large coarse bin bags, especially if you can find the sort of ones that are for hazardous. So there's plenty of them around now for COVID and that sort of stuff. If you can grab yourself a couple of those big yellow bin bags, it's extraordinary how good they are at protecting you from the elements. If you're stuck somewhere, then you stick one of those over you cut a small hole, stick one of those down over your head, and then put your hat back on. But that thickish plastic, and then another. Up underneath and you can you know you you've got yourself a a makeshift bivvy sort of thing and it's cheap and it doesn't take up much space and it's 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 not a not a bad thing to carry with you so yeah little things like that but protection is is everything you know you can have all, everything else sorted out but if you don't protect yourself against the elements obviously you're going to protect yourself on the on the impact you wear your seat belts and all that sort of stuff so think about your own personal protection you know, obviously, if, if, you go, if, if there is going to be an accident, then tighten your straps, open the door, try to make it hurt as less, as, as, as Bob Hoover used to say, fly the plane as far into the crash as possible. It hurts less. And, and Kate's message all the way through her individual accidents were, of course, you know, keep flying the airplane. If you stall, it is going to hurt. And those Cessnas with all the washout on their wingtips are fantastic, but when they let go, they do let go. And if you... You know, if if you if you do end up stretching the glide too much, it is probably going to hurt. So, you know, the idea isn't to do a perfect landing and walk away. The idea is it doesn't matter if you hit the far ditch doing 30 miles an hour, if you hit the near ditch in a very steep attitude, that's going to hurt. So protect yourself in the air. Having got on the ground, think about protecting yourself with your right clothing, with the right equipment. Okay, that's the next one. The next thing is location. That's really important as well. And probably the best location aid we have is our mobile phone. And, the, you know, if, if you've got mobile phone coverage, then you can phone somebody and tell, t- tell them what's happened. Something else we, we, we have in lots of airplanes, I think, as well, is an ELT. If we did have an engine failure, say, in a single, operate the ELT before you get, get down. Stick it on. You know, it, it doesn't cost anything. Don't rely on, on, on an impact or a G switch to turn that thing on. There's a switch. Just switch it on. That's it. Perfect. Now you've got, you know, whether it's a one two one five or a four zero six E L T satellites are looking for you. Everybody's looking at you. You know, you will be found. Location is the next priority. You really, really want to be found. You want to be, be, you know, located and and assisted as quickly as possible. Okay, so that's that. So location. What else is there for location? You can have. Really, in Ireland, there's not much point in carrying a mirror because it, this, the sun doesn't shine very often. But, you know, but you know, and I suspect flares and and smoke grenades are probably more hassle than they're worth. So, yeah, just common sense. Bright coloured uh, clothing. If you have a yellow jacket, that's great. If it's dark, then then that's something you might want to be thinking about. We'll talk about that in a second. Water and food, water's never a problem. And food, okay, is good for morale, but maybe a Mars bar in one of those fisherman's jacket pockets might be a good idea. Okay, let's have a think about airplane issues. So we talked a little bit about airframe ice and the sort of stuff that uh, you'd be looking out for if you were flying around in icing conditions. But let's also think about airframe ice for an aircraft that's been parked up on the ground. If you can hang on an airplane, brilliant, because you're less likely to get icing there. But if your airplane has been parked outside, especially if there's been a period of rain before a really cold snap, then you can get some interesting effects. So, for example, if water pooled in the bottom of your spinner, for example, it froze, then you could have a very serious wobble when you start your engine up and that lump of ice is going around eccentrically. Whereas, you know, if it was water, of course, it would just yeah. Think about any ice that might have been inside the airplane, which are water that's inside the airplane, which which might cause an issue. Something else you might want to think about is as you're flying along. And this is something that people often don't think. They think about airframe icing, you know, the, the ice that you can see on the strut to the bottom of the window. But most Cessnas, for example, have an engine air intake, which is a grill right on the very front of the aircraft, like the 182, for example. And if you get ice on that, the engine starved of, of, uh, of air, and you're now relying on some sort of alternate air system. So think about where the engine is fed air from. And if it's a Filter type, you know, if, if there's some sort of filtration there, then you, you you might want to think about do you have an alternate way for air to get to the engine if you do get into inadvertent icing? Oil temperatures, obviously, if it's really cold, you might want to think about using multigrade oil in your engine if it's really cold, certainly W100. Isn't a great idea. You might want to slip down to W80, which is slightly less uh, viscous on a Lycoming. I'm not certain if the, uh, I'm I'm not that familiar with um, with Rotax engines, but, but do give the engine a chance to warm up. And if the manufacturer reckons it's a good idea, and certainly if it's a home build, I would recommend that you might want to think about blanking off part of the oil cooler in the wintertime so that the oil has a chance to get up to operating temperature quickly and stay in there as well. Engine oil temperature high means less likelihood of water being in the oil, less likelihood then of corrosion, et cetera, et cetera. One of the other things to watch out for is there's a thing, I think it's called a, a whistle. Finbar, you're on there. Is it called a, a snot valve or a whistle valve? There's an end, There's a crankcase oil breather tube, certainly in a combing, which sticks out the bottom of most engine compartments. And if you get ice or slush thrown up by the nose wheel and that blocks then you have a problem because the oil can't breathe out of the engine, and you'll burst seals. Most of them have a thing called a whistle slot, which four or five inches up from the end, there's a little, a little bit like a tin whistle, you know, a slot cut out of that tube. So that if the end of the tube gets blocked, then you've got some way for for air to get out. But but be careful. Have a really good look underneath your aircraft where it's. Where it's going to be awkward and wet and cold. To make sure that any of those fuel drains, oil breathers, anything like that, are uh, are not blocked up. Undercarriage issues can be something that can trap the unwary. So if you have spats, be careful that you don't end up with slush and mud inside your spat that can cause, if nothing else, a lot of extra weight, but could also cause, um, you know, breaking sudden. Directional control loss. And a lot of uh, you saw Kate's um, list of accidents there from last year. Most of them, to me, look like ground incidents where there are runway excursions either on the takeoff or on the landing. And that can often be caused by, you know, uh, brake issues, spats having problems so keep an eye on your undercarriage you might want to think about even taking the spats off in the winter time and the last thing I would say is just be aware of your slipstream if there is ice and snow around the place and you're doing engine run-ups I mean this is something you should do anyway but but just keep it just be be considerate as to where your slipstream is going you know we're shifting a lot of air with these propellers enough to move the aircraft could weigh the way up to two tons so there's two tons of air going back that way and two tons of air going back that way can shift a lot of ice snow slabs, whatever, on the ground. And so, uh, you know, just be aware of where you're pointing a slipstream so you don't cause mayhem in the back. Let's think now about uh, operations themselves. So, you know, if you've got a hard surface, it could be icy. It's going to take a long time to stop. I remember flying out of Bordefoss way up north, and we used to fly an airplane that had nozzles. And we were very unpopular with the jet commercial pilots because we used to put our nozzles slightly down to slow the aeroplane down because the brakes didn't work at all. So the only way we could slow down was to put these nozzles down, but of course melted the ice on the ground. And it melted and refroze. So it meant that the threshold of the runway was like a a skating rink. And uh, we were always very unpopular because the Norgies... Liked, they, they would operate from snow-covered runways, no problem at all. they just throw pine needles on top of the snow and keep going. But of course, if anybody like ourselves came along and melted it and it froze, melted and froze, then the whole, the, the characteristics, the friction characteristics of the runway changed completely. Just be aware that you might end up with icy patches on a runway and they could give you a big surprise. If you're flying from a grass strip, one of the things that that, that can catch out is especially if you're flying, or even on a a tarmac strip, somewhere like Kuna, for example, the edge of the runway, unless it's got a really good drainage system, it's probably going to be the wettest place on the whole airfield because all of the water that lands on the runway goes off the edges and then is soaked up by the first foot or two of the edge of the runway. So you might find that in wintertime, not necessarily icy conditions, but wet conditions, that if you have a hard-packed gravel runway or a, uh, a tarmac runway, the edge is going to be lethal, absolutely lethal. Be really, really careful that you don't go off-piste and, and be, expect that the first foot or two off-piste could be very soft indeed. There is absolutely no substitute in my mind for walking the strip. And, uh, you know, if you're not familiar with a strip that you're going to go fly with off for the first time, or if you're going to fly into a strip, if you can at all, drive there first and walk it, or get someone that you trust to walk it and, uh, and, and take video or, or photograph any areas that might be of concern. And remember, not just the strip and the edges, but look at the, the approaches and the overruns as well. You know, you know we, we, we tend to, in the commercial flying world, we make students do a take-off safety brief every time. But I think that's a really good idea before we go. So you, you have a mental rehearsal of what's going to come up in a busy time. And if something bad happens, then you've thought about it. I mean, the, the ultimate example of that is people who fly gliders and they get towed and they get winched up. You know, they run through the, the wire brake safety drill every time. So when it happens, they just do it, and that's it. What would I do if I had to abort? Or you know, if I'm going to go, am I going to go left? Am I going to go right? If the wind's from the left and you get airborne, you have an engine snag, then fly into wind. It's going to hurt less because the ground impact um, velocity is going to be lower. Watch out for low sun. Uh, again it's something that will only catch out sod's law says it'll be late in the evening you're coming in and you're coming, as you turn five you suddenly realize ah my windscreen is dirty and i can't see a thing so clean your windscreen before you go and uh, make sure your debisters work and all that sort of stuff so you don't have um, um you know degraded vision you really do need to see where you're going uh, and that low sun can be a big problem and speaking of uh, low sun and uh, and visibility Sarah uh, on you know some of the older of you may not realize it, but we've got I reckon about one hour and twenty five minutes extra legal VFR time on the twenty first of December than we had pre Sarah because VFR goes from morning civil twilight to evening civil twilight where the sun is six degrees below the horizon to when the sun is setting at six degrees below the horizon. And, and, and believe you me, it might be legal to fly VFR, but it's very, very dark indeed for the last 20 minutes or so of you know day VFR conditions. So beware of that and don't just go, okay, I've got plenty of time. I'll be able to land before the end of VFR. Just remember, especially if it's a dull or an overcast day, the end of VFR is very, very dark indeed these days. We've got lots of uh, facilities. The, the website, GASCI website, if you do a search on the first page, there are some good things on there. I've got a, a document that I've adapted from the FAA document you can download. There's an IAA Winter Ops Advisory Memo. And there's also a very good, the series, the CAA Safety Sense series are very good leaflets as well. And all three are there available for free to download off the GASCI website. So if you do um, want to brush up, then please go on there and have a look. So that's it for me. And thank you for joining us on this episode of Long Final from squawk7000.ie. If you'd like to hear more, please subscribe and do tell your friends. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter.